All right, if you would, let's go ahead and go ahead and have your confession ready and turn to chapter 26 of the confession. And we'll be looking at paragraph 10 here in just a moment. Our scripture reading this morning was 2 Timothy chapter 2, which is another text that does deal with the office or the ministry of elder. And as we've learned over the last number of weeks, we understand we see the word elder. We are dealing with what is also known as a pastor, an overseer, a bishop, or a shepherd. Uh, These are the same office. So it is the office of elder or the office of pastor, which is what we will refer to it today. Uh, Paragraph 10 is dealing primarily with the work and support of pastors. The work and support of pastors. And you'll notice in your confession in paragraph 10, it is the very first four words of our paragraph, the work of pastors. So this, for me, of course, is uh, deeply personal. Uh, It's deeply relevant to me. And it's also a passage or a confession paragraph that when I come to it, it often, uh, be honest with you, it it brings, it unnerves me a bit. Uh, Only from the standpoint that, um, Jerry, can you get that door? Oh, someone let themselves in. You're good. (laughs) Um, It brings me to a point where I realize that in my office or my calling as a pastor, uh, this particular paragraph deals with the office that God has called me to. And so my intent this morning, of course, is not to use this in any way, shape, or form as a uh, way to convince you, um, to persuade you of uh, what I think or what I believe, but rather just to take the scriptures as we do every week and see what the Bible says about this subject of the work and the support of pastors. So if you would, let's read that paragraph. We'll come back to our scripture reading here in a moment and look at some of those verses. But here's what paragraph 10 of the confession in chapter 26 says. The work of pastors being constantly to attend the service of Christ in his churches, in the ministry of the word and prayer, with watching for their souls as they that must give an account to him. It is incumbent on the churches to whom they minister, not only to give them all due respect, but also to communicate to them of all their good things according to their ability, so as they may have a comfortable supply without being themselves entangled in secular affairs, and may also be capable of exercising hospitality towards others, and this is required by the law of nature and by the express order of our Lord Jesus, who has ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So there's a lot packed into this paragraph. And of course, as we've been looking at all the various aspects of the church, we've looked at the various aspects of membership. We've looked at the aspects of how the church is to be gathered, how it's to be structured, how it's to be organized. The confession writers were also very careful to understand and pull out that there is the reality that the Bible also says, how should the work of pastors be defined? And also, how should they be supported? Now, anytime you get into the uh, terminology of support, uh, it immediately brings many things to our mind. We understand the word support can mean in an encouragement support. It can mean in an edifying way. It can mean support by saying, hey, we're behind you. But it also has the meaning of a financial support. Uh, Again, that's not the only emphasis. So support does not just mean 
um, from a financial standpoint or uh, just from an encouragement standpoint. But I want you to notice the, the, the wording in our scripture reading that when Paul was writing to Timothy, some of the terms he used to describe what the work of the ministry or the work of the pastor uh, would be like. Uh, you'll notice that he, in verse 1 of our reading, he said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, he is telling Timothy that you are going to need the strength of God to fulfill this office. Um, you're going to need more than physical strength. You're going to need strength that only comes from God. The office of pastor, uh, elder, um, is one that is uh, very much accompanied with affliction. He tells Timothy, you're going to suffer. He uses terminology like in verse 3 where he says, therefore endure hardness. Uh, the word endure there has the meaning of stay standing. Uh, don't, uh, don't sit down as in defeat. Stay standing. Uh, endure hardness. Uh, Timothy, he's telling him by Paul, you are going to be involved in what can only be defined as that which is warfare, spiritual warfare. Uh, you are going to be fighting a fight against more than just human flesh and blood. He uses terms like soldier. He uses terms, uh, the good soldier of Christ, uh, hardships, uh, difficulties, be willing to engage, stay enduring, stay strong, even in the midst of these afflictions that will certainly come to you. Now, again, it doesn't mean that everyone in the work of the pastor or in the office of pastor is going to endure the same suffering, the same affliction. Uh, but I would go as far to say that if a man is truly standing for what the Bible says, he's going to suffer some level of affliction and suffering for that stand. Uh, if he's standing truly what the Bible stands for, he is going to endure some level of hardness. Uh, verse 5, he's, he talks about striving. Uh, striving is really, it, it's, it's, oh, it's a word we most understand in the sporting world because it literally means to compete as an athlete. It, it, it has the idea uh, that if a person is striving for masteries, and this is not masteries of things in general, uh, but mastery of those things which are lawful for the person who is in this fight. You're to strive lawfully. Uh, uh, he's not going to be crowned unless he does it properly. Um, an athlete who is training for some event, whatever they are, um, if, they are, if they are a runner, for an example, their greatest training or their greatest striving should be in the area of running, uh, not throwing the javelin. So a runner is not going to practice javelin, thro javelin throwing if they're actually a, they're a, an athlete who runs. And that's a crude illustration, but it gives us the idea that he needs to do it according to what the Word of God says that it should be. So we see he's got to strive lawfully. He's got to endure hardness and hardship and difficulty. Uh, if, he, if you are going to be a witness for the Lord, Timothy, you are going to have to endure these hardships as a minister of the gospel. Uh, there is nothing more that discourages uh, pastors from their calling uh, than hardships. Uh, hardships do bring discouragement. Um, every pastor I have ever known, 
um, at some point in their life has endured discouragement and they've endured really just wanting to get out of the fight, wanting to sit down, no longer to endure, uh, saying, I cannot do this anymore. Um, I personally, every pastor I have talked to at some point in their life and their ministry, they have gone through that. Uh, so again, uh, this, this is very much what's happening here. And again, we're not covering <clears throat> everything, uh, but lawfully means that uh, that office bearer should also submit himself to the church in a proper way. Uh, in other words, he's, he is not uh, uh, beyond or above submitting himself to the, the eyes of those who watch his ministry, those who watch him. Uh, and then verse 25, it says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, he had just mentioned in verse 24 about the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. This goes back to those qualifications of pastors we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But notice those who oppose themselves. Um, the very purpose of pastoral work and pastoral ministry uh, is really uh, geared towards uh, that which is in opposition. Um, the gospel is in opposition to the world. Um, the world is opposed to the gospel. The work of a pastor is really an opposing work. Now, I heard a man say this yesterday, and I was greatly encouraged by this. He said, pastors should not be controversialists. In other words, our role is not to create or cause a controversy, but rather to stand just on the unadulterated word of God, which in and of itself is going to cause opposition. But there's a difference in standing for the gospel against the opposition and causing the controversy, right? So he is to be patient. He is to be apt to teach. But he also understands that there is going to be an opposition, um, and then I love what that verse says. It says, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The greatest pastoral work is when the word of God is preached and the gospel goes forth. The greatest gift is to see God. Notice what it says. If God peradventure will give them repentance. There's the proof that repentance is a gift of God. But the work of a pastor is in the face of opposition is to say, with the hopes that God will give them repentance. Now, that's one aspect of the pastor's role. Now, some have the idea that the pastor's role is just to continually always preach the gospel and nothing else. But the reality is, is a pastor has more roles than just preaching the gospel. Although I think when you preach the Bible, you are in effect, in some way, you're touching on the gospel. But not every single message is going to necessarily be directed at unbelievers. There are the whole counsel of God also includes those things which are to put us in remembrance as believers. Now, that's one of the verses we read there in Second um, Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, in verse 14, of these things put them, that's really the them is the elect, the people of God in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Uh, these, this is having conversations and words, arguments, disagreements, debates that bring no profit to them. Um, it's frivolous things, right? Uh, but to the subverting of the hearers is instead what is being mentioned here. 
So there is a lot we could do, and we've, I've preached through 2 Timothy in years past, so we're not going to expound the entirety of it, but I want you to see that's one of the key verses that the, or key passages uh, that the confession writers used in paragraph 10 to describe the work of pastors. So we see a couple of things, and I really just have two, hopefully, what will be very, very simple points this morning, and I uh, have no intention today of... Uh, making this more uh, cumbersome or complicated than I think it really is. Uh, really, there's two headings I want us to consider. And the first one is, is that the work of the pastor is to shepherd. The work of the pastor is to shepherd. Now, uh, shepherding, again, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but that's the first. Head. And the second heading, uh, very simply, is the work of the pastor uh, is to be supported. Now, again, that doesn't mean uh, no matter what. Uh, that primarily means that as that pastor or pastors in the case of plurality of elders in a local congregation uh, that work should be supported provided they are not contrary to scripture okay so support of the pastor is not without any boundaries it's as scripture is followed okay that's why it's really a deadly uh, it's a deadly uh, choice for a church and specifically the offices of pastors to veer away from scripture to determine what it will be okay so scripture is got to be the guide so what is the work of the pastor to shepherd well you'll see in the paragraph that the work of the pastors being constantly noticed i think they use the word constantly uh, with great intent to attend the service of christ okay to attend the service of christ in his churches the office of pastor is a work that is done in churches it's not done in pair it's not a parachurch office so a person who is not in an office in a church cannot call themselves a pastor the pastor is in the churches okay so that's where it was intended it's elders it's overseer it's a bishop it's a shepherd Okay, there is a popular movement. Some of you may not be familiar with this, but there is a popular movement that's even starting to infiltrate religious organizations, uh, schools, companies that are Christian-based that are now, instead of using titles like president of the company, are now calling their head or their CEO a pastor. And that what they're really doing is that they are shepherding these employees. That's not a pastor. The pastors are reserved for the office of the churches. Again, it's, it's fascinating to me that religious organizations would feel the need to try to encroach upon an office that the Bible says this is only to be done by churches. Okay, now I, I don't know if there's always an evil intent to that idea, uh, but my, if I'm in the secular world, or even if I work for a religious organization, your boss, your supervisor, is not your pastor. Okay, that's not a pastor. Now, you can call them anything else they want to call themselves, but they're not a pastor. They're not an elder. They're not a bishop. They're not an overseer. That's the office of, in the church. Okay, and that's why the confession writers added that. It's interesting to me that it, they, they, they felt the need to add, make sure, in his churches. Because, see, if you just left it with, to attend the service of Christ, a person could say, well, if I'm in the service of Christ, I'll just call myself a pastor. Right? So if I'm in the service of Christ, I'll just call myself that. So it's very careful that they said in his churches, in the ministry of the word and prayer. 
and or with watching for their souls. So we see that the primary work of the pastor is, of course, to serve and, of course, is to govern and to rule according to Scripture. And that's part of shepherding. Uh, Shepherding does, within it, uh, bring the idea of ruling. But Timothy was also informed by Paul in 2 Timothy 4, uh, verses 1 and 2. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And then he gives the reason why. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now the work of an evangelist here, he is identifying that part of the role of a pastor is to be an evangelist, to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel. But also he is to preach the word be instant, right? That means to, uh, to, uh, to be constant about this, whether it's out of season, in season. Part of that is reproving, rebuking, exhorting with all long suffering and doctrine. So part of a shepherd is to care for the flock of God. Uh, that flock, pastors, every one of them, whether it's a single pastor who is he's working in that office in a local church or church or plurality of elders, those pastors are to care for the flock of God. That particular flock that God has entrusted into their hands. Okay, so I am not the pastor of any other congregation. I don't have dual pastoralship. My mind just made that up. I don't have dual citizenship in the sense of I have a pastor here and a pastor there. Now, I do know there are cases where churches have someone who is helping and filling in, and maybe they're a pastor here and they're helping another place. But this is the local congregation in which God has placed me for this time. Okay, and I know that with certainty. Okay, that's where God has placed. And so... He is entrusted there. Uh, when Paul was writing upon his exit from Ephesus, we've, we've looked at this passage before, but in Acts 20, verse 28, uh, Paul, as he's given final instructions to the elders that will remain at Ephesus, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, that's the same word as pastor, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And remember we looked at this last week, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And not only that, but there will also be people will arise within that congregation who will attempt to draw people away. A shepherd has the role of protecting the flock, which also means that at times he is going to have to shield and prevent and withdraw that which might do harm to that congregation. Um, We cannot, again, this is maybe a side note, we cannot just coast along as a church and just assume everything's good. Now, the last year or so, This church has undergone unprecedented 
just amount of people coming and going and entering in. And we praise God for it. But you cannot just say, look, all's good. We don't have to watch the door anymore. We don't have to pay attention anymore. We don't have to shield. No, those offices of pastor are continually, constantly attending to the word and attending to prayer and looking out for the souls of that congregation. So it is a deep responsibility. Um, As I said, an employer, your boss that calls themselves a pastor, um, they're not looking out for your soul and they don't have to give an account for your soul. They don't have to give an account before God because they were your boss in the same sense that pastors have to give an account to God about. There is a different level of accountability. That's why a man should never enter into an office of elder in a light manner. And that's why even as we are moving towards and, and praying for God to show and raise up so that we have plurality of elders, elders, it's not just a matter of saying, hey, that person may or may not fit the bill. Remember, we looked at all the requirements of what a man has to meet. And first and foremost, he has to have that desire. Because this is not a light office to enter into. So they are to be diligent in helping those who've been entrusted to their care. Uh, Back in that same text, Paul says in Acts 20, verse 27, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Uh, Paul understood that uh, this part of the responsibility as a shepherd is to, uh, to, to preach and teach the entire counsel of God. That, uh, that means covering all of the doctrines, not just the ones that appeal to the flesh, even those doctrines and principles and teachings we don't like. The whole counsel of God. Again, lest we uh, be fooled, uh, a ministry can be built... An entire church ministry can be built on only partial counsel of God. It's not taking on the whole counsel. Now, it may not, it doesn't mean that we'll necessarily get through the entirety of Scripture. Uh, You realize that that's the task. That's the goal. Uh, That's my goal, not just so I can say I did it, but is to literally teach every verse in the Bible, every chapter, every book before God calls me home. Now, I don't know if it's possible, but that's the intent. The intent is, is to cover it all. But to make sure that we certainly are being shepherded by that which is God's counsel. So pastors are to watch for the souls. And the pastor's elders serve other believers in the point that we are continually pointing our fellow believers, fellow body of Christ, to the right path. Pastors do have the great responsibility before God. And the Holy Spirit does say through the Scripture that elders and pastors will give an account of their work to God. Now again, I've said this and I I do not mean any ill will or intent by this. But I am much more afraid of God than I am of you. Okay? I am am much more afraid of God. Now you, you could frighten me. You could intimidate me. But ultimately, in the end, I'm more afraid of God's accountability than yours. Now, if it's healthy, I do understand and I do want the congregation. I want to be able to shepherd and I want them to know God. I want you to know who God is. And I know there are things that, listen, I have to give an account to God about. 
and I have to give an account for choices and decisions and things that I taught and things that I proclaimed. Um, I don't always show it, but every time I stand up before you, I am scared. Not God scared, but I'm scared of saying and doing that which is contrary to God's word. You know, men are treating this office as if this is just something we can do, and I'm just going to try to play this out and just try it out and see. I mentioned about a year ago, we have this foolishness of preaching competitions, and I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. This is, not, um, this is not what, as a young boy, I grew up dreaming to do. Okay, this is not, this wasn't on the, this wasn't on the planning. And still, to this day, it's a fearful thing. And it's fearful when I do realize and read scriptures like that that says that I am to watch for your soul as they that must give an account. And there's a couple of verses that actually make mention of that, specifically um, Acts 6, uh, Acts, um, 6, uh, 6, 4, and then, of course, the most, the most familiar one um, is Hebrews 13, verse 17. Um, but part of Acts 6, 4 was, remember, that was the, cho- the choosing of the deacons so that uh, the apostles could give themselves to the ministry of the word. It says, uh, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 is the passage that um, also is footnoted here in the confession that makes mention of the giving of account. Um, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews was very, and it's not been too long ago, we looked at this verse in our Sunday morning series, for that is unprofitable for you. Okay, that, 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 that the, the pastors and those who are in those leaderships can do this ministry with joy. Because if it's not with joy and it's done with grief, it's not just unprofitable for the elder, it's unprofitable for you. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't fully understand. Um, I didn't fully understand the office and the work of a pastor when I wasn't in that office. Um, and I don't really know how else to say that other than I really didn't understand. Um, and it has caused me to reflect on how I viewed pastors in the past. Um, things that there was something that they were watching out for that maybe I didn't fully see or understand even though I didn't agree with it. Okay, that's kind of all I'll say about that. But we should realize that there is a great responsibility that's laid upon the pastors for that task. And so that verse, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, says, really let them do that work with joy. Um, there's been no greater joy of work that I've done in my life than to serve as a pastor, but it's also the hardest work I've ever done. And so, again, I told you, this, this 
I've kind of been dreading this paragraph because this is deeply personal for me, and it's so it, it has it has a lot of things in it. So uh, the, the confession writers understood um, what was happening and what this ministry, according to Scripture, uh, it is. So it, it, as a result of this, uh, the the pastors, the work of the pastors to be a shepherd. Notice there's kind of a natural division in the paragraph. It is incumbent on the churches to whom they minister. So it's incumbent upon the churches to whom the pastors minister, not only to give them all due respect, but also to communicate to them of all their good things according to their ability. Now, I'm not making that up, and Scripture is going to back what they're saying here about the support, and that's the second heading. The work of the pastor is to be supported. Um, it is especially important that churches support their elders. Okay, support. Um, what kind of things can support include? Well, of course, support can be a sense of respect. Uh, it can certainly be a sense of honor, um, not reverence, not worship. Um, just a side note, I... I won't take or receive or be addressed as reverend. I won't take that title. I don't believe that I'm supposed to be revered. Only God should be. Now, that's a personal conviction of mine. I don't look at a person who says that's reverend so-and-so, but I will politely say I'm not reverend. I would much rather you call me by my first name than call me reverend. Okay. But there is a level of honor, there's a level of support that we are to give to pastors and elders. Uh, we are called to support them. Um, that can include a number of different things, and that's what the confession writers, based upon the scripture, say. So what does this support uh, include? Now it does say respect and to communicate to them all of their good things according to their ability. That's very, very specific. Um, so there's a couple passages. A couple of them are footnoted. But let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5 first. Now this is not one of the footnoted verses, but it does tie these uh, thoughts together. 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, verse 13. <clears throat> Well, let's, let's look at verse 20. He said, We beseech you, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, uh, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish them, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Um, this is kind of Paul bringing the letter, the epistle of 1 Thessalonians to a conclusion, and he's, he's writing to church members, and he's writing to those within the church, and he's saying, look, uh, highly respect uh, those teachers and those pastors who are among you, um, those faithful men. Um, there are so, so many churches, even today in our country, who are shepherdless shepherdless and have been for a long 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 time and i'm, I'm not saying not plurality of others i'm saying no shepherd 
No, no overseer, no bishop, no, not, nobody who's in that office. And so Paul's intent was here, again, he's not talking about perfect men. He's not talking about perfect people. He's talking about our level of support. It is, we esteem them. That, that's an interesting word. It, it's, it's not to elevate them. It's not to exalt them. Uh, it's to, to treat them for the value in which they are. It, it isn't, it isn't a, a pastor shouldn't stand up and say, look, this is the verse, the proof text that says you should exalt me and you should call me reverend and you should bow at my feet. That's, that's foolishness. It's to esteem them. It's to treat them as they are to be valued. That's it. Value them for the office in which they occupy. Okay, now that's, that's true in a lot of different avenues of life, and we won't go there this morning, but you know, there's, this, there's this idea. You can, you can respect and honor uh, where a person is, and especially in this office of pastor. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. Again, these verses, again, I'm always, I'm always nervous with these because these verses I've heard for all, so many years just being context blown out of the water on them. And I just want you to listen to what it says. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. He goes on again. We read this a couple weeks ago. He gives how this should handle, even, even in uh, not just the esteem, but he says, and against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. In other words, there, there would be two or three witnesses before that you even rebuke them because there's a, there's a value here. There's a seriousness in this matter. Um, there are, there are elders and pastors that one accusation has, it's, all I can tell you now is the society we live in now, one accusation, and it's going to undo you. And not just in the church. You get accused of something that's not true even on your job, watch how quickly your life unravels. There's not a presumption of innocence anymore. There's a presumption of guilt. And even in common decency, <laughs> there should be a presumption of innocence unless there's a proof that there's actually something take place. And he even says, them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. So that's two-sided there. Those that do go against this and don't count elders worthy of double honor and don't follow the elder accusation by two or three witnesses. But then also, the elders should understand the seriousness of the matter too. So there is respect, there is honor. Uh, there's also the support should include general submission, unless, and this is the, the caveat, unless scripture is compromised. Okay, now I came out of, again, I'm not meaning to be ugly, all right? But I came out of independent fundamental Baptist church. And I saw various renditions that's a terrible word but that's what i'm going to use renditions of it versions of it and i saw the good the bad and the ugly i saw it done well i saw it done to where there was a, a natural scriptural balance on the office of pastor i wouldn't necessarily agree with everything that they would say now the time i probably would have 
but I've also seen it done very terribly to where it is someone took a whole sermon and would take days and months and time with the pulpit and would talk to the people about how I deserve and God demands your unconditional support of me. And they would use touch not the Lord's anointed, which basically gave the man the license to do, say, be whatever he wanted to be and scared people into submission. Now, if you're not biblically astute, you're going to believe all that. The Bible is very clear that this is not a submission unconditionally, no matter what the man or the elders do. This is based upon if Scripture is not being compromised or corrupted or flat out being treated in a heretical way. Okay, so there's a responsibility. Uh, back in Hebrews 13, 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. Okay, this is so key. Whose faith follow. Whose faith can you follow? Those who have spoken unto you the word of God. So if I stand up today at 11.15 and I say, this church now owes me unconditional support no matter what I say or do, then you'll know I just did not speak unto you the word of God. Right? Now we all know that. But notice again, he also says, considering the end of their conversation. Okay? There's things to take into mind. Those who proclaim his word, the end result ought to be they live what they proclaim. Now again, if you hold an elder to a perfect standard, you are going to fail miserably. I will never meet a perfect standard. And no pastor elder you ever sit under will ever be perfect. It's the same thing we expect in our homes that our husbands and wives and our kids are always going to be in line and in order. It's not going to happen. You live with sinful people. We're shocked when people sin. We're shocked our husband said that. We're shocked our wife said that. We're shocked the pastor said that. You know why? Because we're sinners. And sometimes we say things we ought not say. Okay, so he is again, he's not talking about this one instance. You know, I don't, I don't throw my wife to the curb because she says one one word towards me that's just not quite right. Right? It's a, it's a, constant, it's a constant matter of we're called to forgive. Again, but I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about that there is a level that this man, of course, has to live up to. First uh, Peter 5. Here's another passage. I think, uh, again, these are all verses that are, are footnoted or at least touching on those. First uh, Peter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, that's force, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. Now notice he doesn't say for lucre, but he just says for filthy lucre. Okay, He's, he's doing it for the purposes of gaining uh, an income, if you will, but of a ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. 
Uh, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So it's general submission. Now, there is a level of financial support. Uh, Paul did deal with that. That passage in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 8, 18. uh, The elders are worthy of double honor. um, But it's according to ability. Okay, so what this basically means, and, and I, this is the simplest way I can put this, um, the support that a pastor or an elder receives from a local church, the simplest way I can put this is it should be appropriate. Appropriate how? Appropriate according to ability. Appropriate according to circumstances. According to that which will allow him, and that's what Scripture said, would allow that elder to exercise hospitality and be able to be given over to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Okay, now every church is different. Okay, you, there, there is not an internet site that's reputable that's going to give you, here's what you should pay your pastor. Because every church is different. This, this isn't like working for Microsoft. That a pastor makes this range. But there's been this idea over the years that say, look, if this man's really called of God, then he really should need nothing. He should just be able to live off God's supply. Okay, is that really what the Bible says? Now, Paul, people immediately go to Paul. They say, well, Paul said, I'm a tent maker. It wasn't because that was the only way. Paul was so afraid that they would misconstrue what he was doing, that they would look at Paul, especially Paul's life before, and say, Paul is doing this for the money. And he'd say, you know what, I'll make my own living. But he goes on, even in Corinthians, and he tells them that it is right for a man to be supported in the office of a pastor, an elder. It's interesting. We're like one of the only quote-unquote professions, although the ministry is not a profession, who has said, you know, you really shouldn't get anything for what you do. Now, let me be honest with you. How many of you who still work are going to work tomorrow and you get nothing? But yet a pastor is supposed... No, well, you can can do the ministry and go get a full-time job. Yeah, I've been there. You can do that. But don't say it's because the Bible says we shouldn't pay you. Now, there can come a time, and let's be honest, folks, you've been here long enough. There's a time this church got dangerously close to, look, I cannot take a paycheck anymore. I can't have you pay me. But I'm not here for the lucre. I'm not here for the money. The support is just appropriate. I'm not going to give you a pay range and say, here's what I demand, or here's what I should. That's not the way it works. And elders should not just determine and say, look, well, here's what, here's what the elders should be. Every church is going to be different. But the point was is that they should be supported. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, um, verse 14, is just one of these passages here. And this is, this is the one that they actually mention in the confession. Uh, so the second half, according to their ability, so as they may have a comfortable supply without being themselves entangled in secular affairs... Uh, may also be capable of exercising hospitality towards others, and this is required by the law of nature. Now, that's an interesting word, the law of nature. Uh, What the the common law of nature is, is when a man performs a job or performs a service, 
there is a, uh, a payment for that. He receives something. All they're saying is that that's just the common law of nature. I mean, I, I, had, I had a man one time look me right in the face and say, I firmly believe that all pastors should be nearly poor and homeless. I, I've been, I know this is hard to believe, but I was actually speechless. I had, I had no idea even what to say other than the fact, where do you get that from Scripture? And it's interesting when you ask them, well, will you go to your job and be poor and homeless for your job? And they're like, well, no. But pastors are supposed to be. Well, if you're a godly man, you don't, he won't take anything. Supply, right? It's the, same, it's the same need. The law of nature and by the express order of our Lord. He, he, he says this is by the express order that those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Again, talk about verses taken out of context. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 9 and look at verse uh, 6. Uh, it, it says... Uh, or I only in Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Now that's pay, that's support, his own expense. Who plants a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Who feeds the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, doth God take care for oxen. When we saw that passage in 1 Timothy, Paul was quoting what was written in the law of Moses. Okay, That there was this, this pay, he that, he that does this, treads out the corn, the work. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If ye have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the tabernacle? Now, he's going all the way back again to Old Testament, and he's using the illustration that those who ministered in the tabernacle, they lived of the things of the temple. They were fed by the things that were in the temple, even the very sacrifices. Remember, we looked last week how uh, they ate of the sacrifices, the bread, remember the show bread that was used after it had been offered. They were being supplied. This is what Paul has in mind. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. The live of in verse 14 is the same live of in verse 13 that compares those who feed of the things of the temple. God himself has ordained this, that they which preach the gospel should feed off of the gospel, live from that. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. Here's where Paul says, listen, this is what I could claim. I could say, this is what you're supposed to do. But Paul gives a very, very particular reason why. He says, I have, I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it, it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in void. For though I preach the gospel, okay? Now, if, if you are an evangelistic crusade and the man just pulls out 
1 Corinthians 9, 16, and he says this is all about evangelism. This doesn't make any sense because what he's actually saying is this is in the context of those who preach the gospel should actually live of the gospel. So he says, though I preach the gospel, that means God has ordained that these things should be so, that I should be able to partake and be paid of these things. He says, I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For I do this thing willingly. I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And then Paul goes on how he became a Jew unto the Jews, that he might gain them. Paul makes these arguments not to say that they shouldn't be, but as a rule as to why he did not do that. So the common law of nature is that elders, pastors should be paid um, for their work. Again, that which is appropriate and according to their ability. So pastors are to be doers of good. Uh, they should be known by others to be doers of good, even non-believers. The testimony of your pastor and elder should be good in its communities. It should be good. Now, I'm not saying they have to like you, but you should have a good testimony in this community and in your community. Pastors should have a good testimony. Okay, again, that doesn't mean compromise, but the testimony should be there. They should be people who are known to be consumed with the gospel. They should be people who preach the gospel, but they also should be doers of good. Remember what 1 Timothy 3.7 says. One of the qualifications of an elder specifically said this, he must have a good report of them which are without. Listen, if a man is raised up in a church as an elder and a pastor and his reputation in a community is terrible, you better run away from that. See, we don't take these things. We, that's a qualification we've kind of pushed under the rug. There still should be a good report. It doesn't mean that all believers should, be, should like him, but rather he should be well thought of even by unbelievers as a good citizen. But what is the pastor's first responsibility is to the flock of God. My first responsibility is to the flock in which God has entrusted me to. The work of pastors is to shepherd the flock. Christ has entrusted, right? And then they're to be supported by that flock. Okay, so no other church is supposed to be supporting me. It's supposed to be this flock. That's God's way. And again, if we're doing it with the proper attitudes and the proper ways, uh, of course, God's way is always right. So I've gone way over, but I appreciate the uh, attention to this, and I hope, I hope this has been an encouragement to you.